Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller and I'm joined today with County Agents Dennis Burns and Mr. R.L. Frazier. Thank you for uh, having us on yes, again. thank you. And we have Mr. James Hendricks and Tyler Tolles. Dr. Tyler Tolles, let me get it right. Happy to be here. All right. Happy to be here. And today is our famous debate, guys. We're going to talk about terminating cover crops. And we have the entomologist here and we have our cover crop expert here and, and we're going to talk about some things so let's let's get it kicked off um, before we get into this sure. there was something mentioned about them two being locked up together one time i want to know more about mm -hmm. this yeah let's 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 slow down <laughs> let's a little bit for some let's, story let's get this cleared up first yeah i mean so, are we talking locked in a room or are we talking locked in the crossbar motel no, y'all are getting this way out of context. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking. Actually, we're actually, trying to clear Tyler's name for what we're doing. Actually, I was Tyler's host for a day uh, before he was hired when we were on Baton Rouge campus. And uh, we thought we had all the documentation to drive through campus, but we found out that evidently we didn't. Documentation. And, what do you, mean? Um, you know, one of the. Uh, traffic controllers at one of the gates, uh, I guess he didn't want to hire Tyler because they didn't want to let us back on campus. So, uh, but anyway. No, we, it was his associate well, that was the problem. After a few phone calls, though, we, we were able to, to fix the situation and, and made the day. Well, now, is, Tyler came from Mississippi State. Are you saying that you got to have documentation to come from Mississippi State to LSU? No, we have to have documentation to get on campus, oh, just to get on even campus. though we work for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're not getting through those gates. We got stuck in a toll booth. I, I, there's a, <laughs> we didn't have the money for the toll. <laughs> yeah, I know where those gates are. I, I, I ran into a few of them there dropping off full samples and such. Yeah. All right, well, now back on topic. <laughs> So let's talk about terminating cover crops. Mr. James, I'll let you start. Well, uh, you know, we had talked uh, a month or so back about cover crops, and I know Dr. Tolles has talked about uh, the issues with Greenbridge, and I think he's gonna talk about that again in a few minutes. But uh, one of the most critical things in planting uh, a cover crop is actually the termination. You know, making a decision when you're gonna terminate uh, based on the objectives that you planted your crop, you know, and so uh, when a lot of people are looking at the, from the standpoint of either uh, releasing nutrients or for weed suppression, they want to keep these cover crops out there as long as they can. And so they try to push it to the point, in some cases, up to planting, whereas we have some that will actually terminate, you know, shortly after planting. <laughs> so, um, what we want to do is, is make sure that they manage these cover crops the way they would their cash crop and based on their objectives is they terminate based on what the status of the situation is that they're in on their farm, their production system, their soil type, and their cash crop that they're going to plant. And uh, hopefully they selected the, you know, the right cover crop for whatever crop they are planting and if they did, to get the maximum benefit out of it, you've got to stay on target in the spring when you get ready to terminate. 
LSU's recommendations, generally because of the Green Bridge effect, and Dr. Tolles is going to talk about that as four to six weeks prior to. We've got a lot of trials that we've broken down, and we have actually terminated at three weeks. We've terminated at two weeks, one week, and at planning. But when we start doing those things, you're talking about a very intense management situation, and where we're having to either, if we see that there's going to be a problem, is try to address it at planning. Yeah, so from an entomology standpoint, where do, where are we at now? So I guess we'll we'll go back because it's been a little while since we talked. Um, we can bring up the green bridge again so everybody kind of understands what that is. And that's when you uh, harvest your crop in the fall and you go back in with the cover crop, essentially what you're doing is you're bridging that winter with something for insect pests to feed on. So when you harvest in the fall, plant that crop and go back in the spring that's given insect pests that's in that ecosystem something to feed on until they have a new crop, which is what you're planting in the spring. Um, and pretty much what you want to do is, it's like James said, is um, depending on what you're using this cover crop for, if you're using it for ground cover or if you're using it to uh, pull nutrients to the top of the soil, you know, that, that changes how we're going to terminate. But also another thing to think about is before you plant, you're you're going to want to terminate and give plenty of time so that, that that cover crop has time to die and any pests that you have in the soil or in the ecosystem are pretty much starved um, so that when your new crop comes up they won't be there waiting to feed. Um, so I think we need to find that sweet spot of, of um, when we need to terminate for, for an entomological standpoint um, like he said, it's four to six weeks is our recommendation with the Ag Center. But if you think about um, planting a cover crop and then by the time that it's time to plant corn, that cover crop may not have accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. And I know a lot of folks want to stretch that out um, instead of plant or burn down four to six weeks. They want to do, you know, the week before or the day of. And, and that just has some implications from an entomological standpoint. Well, I know I'll, I'll be the first to admit I was, I'm not going to say anti-cover crop several years ago, but I wasn't sold on them because of what both of you have just said. You Normally we plant and about the time the cover crops get to where they're doing what we planted them for, we're terminating them. So to me it was just, it was a waste of time and money. But now some things and I've seen some work we done several years ago off farm. Dennis and I were involved in it really made my eyes open mm -hmm. to start being receptive to cover crops still knowing there was the possibility of the green bridge but I like what both of you are saying here of trying to find that sweet spot to get all we can get out of it so how do we go about that? Well, I like what James said um, in his previous podcast was that um, maybe we should start planting these cover crops as soon as we're harvesting the previous year. Um, I like that a lot because that gives you time to get that up, especially from a nutrient standpoint. If you're, if you're wanting to mine nutrients, that gives you the maximum amount of time from the time that you got the previous yield, I mean the previous harvest out to the next planting date, that gives you that maximum amount of time. I, I like that a lot. Um, now, if you're just trying to use this, this cover crop for like ground, uh, ground suppression for weed control, you know, as, as soon as you get a good stand up and it gets tall and you, you've got pretty good ground coverage, then 
then you could I could see where you could terminate earlier, but um, that's definitely an implication of of what you're using it for. Again, it goes back to that. Okay, I got a question. Okay, and I've swept a lot of cover crops trying to answer the you know looking at the green bridge mm -hmm. and swept a lot of them, and, and you find a really a more significant number of beneficials in them as the season as the spring progresses and gets warmer. Your your seems like your beneficial to pest ratio is way more to the beneficial side. And my question is for both of y'all. Like I plant cover crops. I know that's not gonna happen this year. On my first year how many years do I have to plant cover crops before I get to that? You know, get to that ratio where I'm not as worried about pests. I've got a lot of beneficials helping control my pests in the cover crop. So I can, is that helping me with the green bridge? Is that, how many years, one of you can say, is it, going, is it helping me with the green bridge? And how many years do I have to plant the cover crop to get there? Well, I think that varies. <laughs> I think that can happen one year, it can happen over a period of years, but I think that can happen the first year. When we're talking about bagging up selecting the cover crops you know if you're going in with mixes then you have a lot of diversity because in not just above the soil but also below the soil and uh, you know when what you're talking about is, is is the beneficials then you know underground you can have predators underground just as well as you can have above ground but it's one of these things where you have to scout your field and be able to manage. If I, if I had large scale farm and I have a lot of farmers that I work with that plant several thousand acres of cover crops every year, their consultant, you know, we either talking to them all the time or they're talking to us and they're staying in those fields watching what's going on. And like I say, we've had some issues where we've had a farmer that planted over 2,000 acres that they went and swept the field and didn't even find the pest. They found all beneficials. Yeah. And that sometimes happens, but that can change in a week. So it's not something that you just, you know, you don't pay attention to. You know, the mixes and all attract different species. And so, uh, and uh, Tyler will tell you about that. I mean, as far as some of the issues we run into with crimson clover and some of the others, you know, when they're flowering too, is uh, what they attract is uh, some of the pests that we have for a lot of the cash crops that we have. But you can go in there with diverse mixes. I mean, there are some uh, cover crops that we have that are our hosts and they're not hosting nematodes, for example. Mm -hmm. And so there's some insects, just like a lot of the cotton insects, the soybean insects, some of them don't like specific species of cover crops. But we've got to find the right mixes that we can put out there that's going to basically help with that, not eradicate it, but help with that. But mm -hmm. I say that basically scouting your, your fields is going to be the most important thing. Okay. But, uh, you know, the other thing, like I say, we ran into, you know, there's possibility if you're prone to slugs and whatnot. What I look at is what kind of equipment you have. You know, if you're able to go in there and put in fur insecticides, and there's some very cheap in fur insecticides that Tyler mentioned hopefully in a minute, that we can go if we're having issues with cutworms or other soil-borne insects, uh, then that changes things. You know, because a dollar, dollar and a half acre is pretty cheap, you know, to save your crop. Look what the cost of the seed is. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're in a situation we don't want to have to replant. 
But uh, other thing with slugs is going on with row cleaners. If you can clean off a path, you're not gonna have issues with slugs. So, uh, but anyway, I'll turn it over to Dr. Tolles and. Okay, I'm gonna ask Tyler this, just as a follow-up, because you mentioned soil-borne pests. There's just as many soil-borne pests. Can you talk, I mean, because we think of, you know, sweeping it, you're looking for plant bugs and that type thing, and you know, different above-ground pests. Can you talk about the soil pests? Yeah, so there's a there's a variety of soil pests, and and I want to go back to what he said too um, while I'm talking. So uh, mainly what we see in especially grass scenarios, and we talked about this on the last podcast. Um, we see this a lot when people turn pasture into farmland, and when you've had a large amount of grass in an area for a long time, you build up uh, populations of wireworms and uh, white grubs and things like that that love to feed on, on grass roots and nodules and things like that. And what you, the question you had asked Dennis was um, pretty much how can we use cover crops to, to lower our pests but aid our beneficial numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think one interesting way to do that is if you're if you're on a piece of land that historically has um, bad soil dwelling pests and a lot of soil dwelling pests because they're all beetles, um, they have multiple years life stages. So if you're if you have them one year, odds are you're going to have them the next. So what you can do to combat that is instead of planting a grass cover crop in that field, switch to a leguminous heavy cover crop blend or something like that. And it kind of just deprives them of something to feed on. So I think that's one way that we can use cover crops to kind of lower that, that soil pest, but also you're, you're um, given an area for overwintering um, beneficials to survive. Um, the winter is another thing that's really important when you are asking about um, populations that you know survive over the winter what we know is that a harsh winter particularly harsh winter is um, can be detrimental to both pests and beneficials so that's one thing to keep in mind when we talk about um, why some years are worse than others Um, but anyways and you had also said something about slugs and we get calls questions pictures emails all the time slugs are so important in a situation where you have a lot of organic matter laying on top of the soil surface, especially in a wet, rainy um, spring. We planted some cover crop trials um, back in back in the spring, and it rained for, I don't know, two or three weeks after we got it planted. And those, those seeds, they emerged, and they sat in, like, cotyledon and one to two leaf stage for a couple of weeks. And I went out there one day, I was just interested, I was curious, you know, I knew it had been wet, but they weren't growing, and I just went out there and looked at them, and it seemed like every single cotyledon had been almost eaten completely down. Um, It goes back to what he was saying, row cleaners, row cleaners are very important, getting that organic matter off the top of the the rows. And another thing is making sure that seed furrow closes all the way, because when those slugs get over in that seed furrow, they'll go hit a plant, and once they get done on that plant, they'll hit that furrow again and they'll go to the next plant. And it just it's it's just a highway for them to go all the way down the row. Um, there's an option for slug control. I know a lot of people always want to make insecticide applications for slugs. There's not an insecticide that kills slugs. There's, a, um, there's one product that's meant mainly for slugs um, and snails, and it's called metaldehyde. 
it's really expensive and I don't know anybody that is making that application. Um, if you're in the situation where you've got so many slugs that you might see significant stand loss, then I may, you know, I may could see that application, but otherwise it's just, it's just priced too high for, you know, the little bit of slug feeding we see. Um, and really lastly, what I'll say on the slug issue is a lot of, there's tons of snails in, in the environment down here in Louisiana. And a lot of people send in, um, they'll send in a picture and say, what is this and how can I kill them? That's mainly how we get all <laughs> yeah, of our text messages. <laughs> so, but, but it's important to keep in mind that snails aren't doing anything. They're just out there. They're hanging out. What I have seen them do is get, you know, they get so heavily populated on some plants that they'll break them over. But it's, it's kind of, it's, it's uncommon. And I, I know, there's nothing you need to be doing about snails. Just keep in mind that snails have shells and slugs don't. So, okay. Yeah, well, um, that's all in question. Anybody else have any questions? I'm good. I guess what we can what we can talk about a little bit more is um, maybe finding that that sweet spot because what we did this past year is we planted a a blend in one of our we have a corn insecticide seed treatment trial, and I got some questions earlier in the fall um, about when to plant pretty much essentially it came down to when do I need to plant into this cover crop? Can I, can I plant green? And what we did was we had, um, we had a couple of our fields on station that we threw cover crops out in just, we just did it in the fall just to do it. And, um, what I did was I laid out those two trials in that field and we, um, we went out at six weeks and we killed half the field. And then the other half we were going to plant, and spray we're going to spray one day and then plant the next well we sprayed one day and then it rained for a week and then it rained for another week so we wound up getting um we wound up putting a trial out at six weeks um we sprayed and killed it and then six weeks later we planted the first trial and the second trial wound up going about three weeks after the burn down and what we see, because our recommendation is four to six weeks, but what we saw is we didn't see um, any significant stand loss or anything, even, you know, or pest species for that matter, um, at a three-week burndown. So I think it's, I mean, we may could, you know, get away with going to three weeks instead of four or six or something like that. That's That's one year of data, so keep that in mind. And we also need to... We're going to keep running that trial in the same location, so hopefully we can get some of those uh, those pest densities built up. Maybe we can start seeing some seeing some differences in that data. But but again, I, I think that there is some some uh, there's something to maybe you know finding that sweet spot and, and when to burn down and when to plant from a bug standpoint at least. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because you know planting corn like. The last few springs has been just hell trying to get it planted with rain. Um, you know, I'm probably not supposed to say it learn the Charles laughing at me. <laughs> Leave it to me. Um, but yeah, we've we've had a lot of lot of trouble getting it planted. What are what are our options when we're talking about terminating? I mean I mean you're really only left with one, really. Well, <clears throat> you know, it all gets back to every morning I watch the weather <laughs> and I look what the forecast is and they're not 100%. That's true. You know, and crops are not 100%. So, uh, you know, you do the best you can. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing about it is, is that 
generally with corn, you're not going to see an enormous amount of biomass as early as we plant. You're going to see some, and we had an exceptional amount here, but we planted our corn a little bit later than normal. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying a little later, late March the 15th, okay? Mm -hmm. So we had quite a bit of biomass, mm -hmm. and uh, we had very, very good weed suppression because the, the veg that we had actually did very well following the corn, because this is a trial where we're following corn with corn. But, uh, you know, it, it all gets back to your management and what tools you have, how fast you can get out there and get it done. I mean, you know, if, if, uh, if you're a large farmer and you have the capability of being able to get across a large area and terminate it, you know, pretty fast, that's one thing. But if it's something that you're going to have to, uh, it's going to take several days, we'll understand you get delayed in your planting. And so everybody's focused on when they're going to plant the cash crop. Yeah. So that's when you want to focus. From the standpoint of, uh, of when, when a title was talking a few minutes ago, one, some of the other things that, you know, we try to take in account when we're looking at some of these cover crops is uh, a lot of people or have issues with uh, germination behind cover crops. And I've run into some situations where people are drilling because you get, you know, you can go at a lighter rate generally drilling than you can by broadcasting a lot of these cover crops, uh, at least their seeding rates. And uh, if you go out and you actually plant into a drill with your planter, then you have a host of issues that can pop up. Number one, if you do have soil-borne insects, they're concentrated at that drill. Where your, where your openers are going. And so that can be an issue. So most of the drills, the drills that we use here at the station, we blank off the very top of that row. We leave a six to eight inch opening for we're planting that we do not have cover crops there. We expect them to lap, you know. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, that's something that you need to take into account. The other thing is this immobilization of nitrogen by microbes. You know, if you go out there and you terminate, and uh, a lot of people have issues with the cereal wheat, they say, well, what happens is, is that it utilizes all of our nitrogen up because the microbes are using that nitrogen to decompose, you know, all of this organic matter into uh, inorganic nutrients. Well, the thing about it is, is this. It's according to how you plant. If you go out there and you dish your cover crop in, you're going to see a, 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 a blooming of microbes breaking this down, and they're utilizing quite a bit of nitrogen. That's a generally... we. That's generally why we would put a legume mix with a cereal anyway, okay? If you leave it standing, you understand you're not immobilizing much nitrogen because your crop's still standing. It's not going to start decomposing other than the roots until it hits the ground. And so you can actually manage your nitrogen loss or immobilization by the way you go about planting. There's a lot of options. But like I say, it takes the equipment and it takes the management strategy to be able to do it. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Oh, we got to well, well, no. say one more thing. Okay, he's raising uh, his hand. We get him going. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. just one more thing because, because we didn't talk about any kind of um, uh, control methods for insects if we are... So if you are planning on, if you are planning on planting green, I think we talked about it in the last podcast, you can make that, you can make a pyrethroid insecticide application if you're planting green. Go ahead, go over top of that green. That'll knock out anything you're going to have um, because, like I said last time, by the time that that 
cover crops um, drying down after you made that spray application. That's about the time that your plants are going to be coming up. So they're going to be jumping shook from that cover crop over to your over to whatever uh, cash crop you planted. So keep that in mind. Um, and if you're planting cotton, um, there's a couple of I would recommend going in furrow um, thrips control. I've I've seen some data saying that um, cover crop actually suppresses thrips. I haven't seen that in my research. I haven't seen any um, difference in a cover crop plot versus a, a non-cover crop plot. So just keep in mind that if you uh, if you're if you're planting cotton into a cover crop, just just use a seed treatment. And uh, there's a product AgLogic is is the it's a new formulation of the old Aldicarb. So if you want to go in furrow with something like that or acephate as well, that would be beneficial. Um, but that's pretty much what I've got to say. No? Go ahead, Dennis. <laughs> I guess what between each of y'all did a podcast early in the year, and then y'all just talked and just we went, revisited all this. And I guess the one common thing that comes out of this is if you're going to plant a cover crop, then it becomes a true, it's just like you have to manage it like your cash crop, and every year is different. And you have to react accordingly as you have to scout it. You have to man. It has to be managed to get the most out of it. If you're going to spend the money, you have to get the most out of it. So it's essentially you have to follow up with what you were saying there too. You treat it like you got to select your cover crop based on the, the spring crop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mentioned in one of the other ones that kind of made the light bulb go off in my head was you don't plant a grass cover crop and plan on planting a corn Spring crop, cash crop. From an entomological standpoint, that would be... You know, you, you, you alternate, you plant a legume. You don't want to follow a legume with a legume or a grass with a grass. That just... Yeah. You know, different things as far as management, selection. You know, the old cover crop was you just go out there and sling wheat and don't worry about it. That's it. Yeah, there's so, a lot more to think there's about. There's a lot more to cover crops than just collecting that check from farm service agency. That's true. Going. That is true. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I didn't say it was. CSP and using cover crops is one of the enhancements from CSP. It's very good and gives you an incentive to learn how to use it. Learn. There you go. That's the best way to put it. But there are also, you mentioned crimson clover. Is a what red banded stink bugs love crimson clover. All stink bugs love crimson clover. So all stink bugs. All so worms. you really want to avoid crimson clover. That's it, and that's another thing. Um, but, uh, crimson clover is a big host for bollworm early season, and really? and bollworm, they once they finish feeding, they go straight into the ground where they fed, and that's where they pupate. So if you're planting clover and you're coming back with you know, uh, early beans, or if you're doing, I mean. By the time that they emerge, your cotton's going to be, it's not going to be time to be fed on. But that's just something to think about. You're you are loading that ecosystem with, you know, bollworm adults that are ready to lay eggs. So just something to think about. Good deal. I think it's been great. Yeah, I do great. too. Um, we've got lots to think about. And, uh, and we really appreciate y'all two joining us today. And I guess we'll love to have you all next time. And Enjoyed it. Good, good luck growing appreciate your cover crops. <laughs> Thank you. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.